Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. Well, I don't have to tell you, uh, this past week there has been a lot of counting going on, right? A lot of counting. And, and with all the talk of counting and recounting, I want to talk about a different kind of counting today. I want us to think about how we can count our blessings. And so if you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. The words will be up there on the screen in back of me. Psalm 103, we'll get there in just a moment. If you're new with us, last week we started a new series called Gratitude. And our aim in this series, our goal is that God would stir up in us uh, this, uh, this sense of thankfulness and, and gratitude towards all of what he's done for us in Jesus. Uh, we need his help in that. And we need each other in that. Just to remind you, the reason why we gather, at least one of them anyway, as we gather here on Sunday, we, we are asking that God would, would meet us and would shape our hearts more than the culture around us, more than the news and media. We need this time together to shape our hearts toward Jesus. We also have provided for you uh, this uh, gratitude journal. And so if you haven't yet picked this up, there is one for you, hopefully out there as you leave today, just a little tool for you throughout the month of November to uh, cultivate gratitude in your heart. Psalm 103, before we look at this text, you can see that the inscription is of David. That's, that's all we really know. We don't know the circumstances in which he wrote this psalm. Some have speculated that this was written toward the end of David's life. He lived till 70 years of age. He ruled as king for 40 years over Israel. And so perhaps he was writing this psalm as he came to the end of his life. And, and at this point, his life, in his life, he had, had now a deeper, keener sense of his sin. I'm sure he did. And also a, a higher and clearer sense of God's love. And so he was a humble and grateful man as he penned this psalm. And when I think about my own life and my hopes as an older man, I don't want to come to the end of my life as a grumpy, you know, old, gray-haired complainer. That's, that's not what I want to end up becoming. I want to be a grateful, old, gray-haired worshiper. And I see a few of you out there uh, today. And so how does that happen? That's the question. How does that happen? The short answer is by God's grace alone, right? And it's only by his grace alone that toward the end of our life we can continue to be grateful people. The longer answer is God uses means, and as we practice gratitude day after day, just like David did, as we count our blessings, he grows in us this thankfulness in our souls. And so let's follow David's example and look at verse one as he begins. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, what does it mean to bless God? We don't bless God by giving to God something he needs, right? God gives to us life and breath and everything else. And so to bless God means that we worship him, we praise him, we, we come to him in joyful admiration for all of his gifts. And notice we don't hold back anything. David writes, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. 
So he's, he's talking to his soul right here. He's, he's, he's wanting his soul to consider how worthy God is of his worship. This is a wake-up call to worship God with everything in him. Question for you this morning. Who do you talk to most throughout the day? What do you think? Some of you would say your, your spouse. Some of you might say, well, I'm talking to God a lot. But listen, if you're honest, the person you're talking to most is yourself, right? We have a conversation all throughout the day with ourselves. And typically, the way we're talking to ourselves, there's a lot of negative self-talk, right? There's a lot of beating ourselves up. There's a lot of grumpy, complaining kind of words. And here David is saying to his own soul, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. So gratitude starts in the heart. I love this phrase, all that is within me. David's saying that worship is a deeply inward experience. This is all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, all of your emotions. Literally, my insides, I'm calling to worship God. Another word for that in the Bible is the word heart, repeated all throughout the scriptures. The, the word heart encompasses all of who we are on the inside, our, our very soul. Remember, Jesus, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, this is a deeply inward experience, and yet I think it's meant to express itself outwardly. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a tradition to where uh, church, when you came into the service, it was, it was pretty quiet, it was kind of subdued, kind of uh, solemn, the organ was playing, and people were kind of whispering. There weren't, there weren't a lot of like, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. It was more or less just kind of going through the motions of Sunday morning. And yet here David is saying, I want to personally, publicly, unashamedly worship my great God. I mean, how can we not sing when we consider the greatness of our king? How can we not worship him with all that is within us, right? We cannot remain silent. He has given us too many reasons to praise him. And yet, I want to also be honest with you this morning. Sometimes we think coming into a Sunday morning, we just need to put aside everything that's going on in our minds to focus in on Jesus. And yet, I want to encourage you to bring all of what's going in your mind to Jesus, to, to bring that to him. I mean, some of you are dealing with anxiety. Some of you are dealing with pressure. Some of you are dealing with anger and disappointment. You don't just shove that aside. You bring it into the presence of God. He, he invites us to come as we are, and he speaks to us in the place where our souls are at. And so bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits or his gifts or his mercies. And so gratitude starts in the heart, and yet it must be stirred up in our minds, lest we forget his blessings, lest we forget his mercies. And so what, what causes us to forget? What gets in the way of gratitude? I think there are many things. I want to just list three, three Ds, all right? Doubt, discouragement, and distraction. Doubt, discouragement, and distraction. This is really the enemy's game plan to stop us from being grateful 
And he kind of just plays on our own sinful flesh. He's been doing so ever since Eden. You may recall in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given access to all of the trees to eat from, except for this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so Satan slithers up as this snake and, and begins to tempt Eve and to place this little seed of doubt in her heart that you're missing something, Eve. Why not this one? And entices her and gets her to doubt the goodness of God. And so, so much of what happens when, when, when we lose our gratefulness, we become discontent and we doubt the goodness of God. We focus on what we lack rather than on what we have. We have so much to be grateful for, but often our minds are consumed of what we're missing, what we're lacking. And so Satan, his ploy is to get you to doubt the goodness of God. Secondly, discouragement. Discouragement. After Adam and Eve sinned, you know that they tried to hide. They were feeling shame for their sin. Some of us, when we sin, even if we're in Christ, we begin to beat ourselves up. We are discouraged. We feel like by now I should be further along in my Christian life. And so Satan plays on that and gets us to kind of dwell in that state of discouragement with lies that we're believing in our minds. Doubt, discouragement, and distraction. Distraction is one of the, the biggest ways that the enemy works to get our eyes off eternal things, right? He even tried to get the Son of God, he tempted the Son of God with all these things while he was in the wilderness fasting. And so he's tempting us today with, with media, right, and in the news and, and everything that's going on in our culture. I mean, we're more concerned this week about counting ballots than counting our blessings that we have in Jesus. Our eyes have been swept up into all of what's going on around us that we've forgotten the word of God that he's on his throne, that he's king of kings and lord of lords, and so distraction can steal our joy and our contentment and our gratitude. And so David, he counters these lies with truth. He's encouraging his mind, he's encouraging his soul with specific reasons to praise God. Listen, God never commands us to praise him without giving us reasons to do so. And so David lists five here. Five reasons, five spiritual blessings. He could have listed five million, but these five got him going on the path to gratitude. It's like he's rehearsing them, like he's counting his spiritual blessings here. So let's just do that with him one by one. First, verse three says, he forgives all your iniquity. He forgives all your iniquity. So what, is, what does that mean? The word iniquity is closely related to the word sin, but it's not a synonym. It's a little bit different, kind of nuanced here. So let me give you kind of an illustration. Some of you have seen this before, and so when you think about sin, it's as though an archer is aiming at a target. He pulls back, and the arrow flies, and it falls short, it misses the mark. That's sin. And yet, iniquity is not just missing the mark, it's, it's why you missed the mark. It's this perverse wickedness in your heart and mind where we twist the word of God. This is the deepest, vilest part of all of us apart from God's grace. And we're born into iniquity. This is our bent. And David, he didn't just know this truth intellectually, he had lived it experientially. 
You remember his story recorded back in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Adultery, murder, lies, cover-up. He fell flat on his face in sin. And in Psalm 51, we get a window into his heart. As he comes to this place of confession, he writes, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Have you ever been there? Where you have felt dirty and stained in sin? Where you just blew it? And there you were asking God for cleansing and forgiveness. Some of you are haunted by some past sin in your life. There's a skeleton in your closet, a monster underneath your bed. And there are deep regrets about what you've done and about whom you've hurt and the people you've grieved. It may feel like there is a big wall between you and God because of that big sin. And yet I want you to know, if there is a wall, and if you're a sincere believer in Jesus, that wall is there not because God put it there, it's because you put it there. When Christ died on the cross, he took a huge wrecking ball and knocked down every barrier between you and God. You know that? In Isaiah 53, Verse five, it says, but he was pierced, Jesus, for our transgressions. He was crushed. Notice who was crushed. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Psalm 103, verse 10, David goes on to say, he, God, does not deal with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad? nor repay us according to our iniquities. Mercy upon mercy, he does not repay you because all of that punishment Christ took for you already on the cross. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so you are fully and freely forgiven. He forgives all your iniquity, he really means that, all, every one of your sins. Yet, I wonder if some of you can relate to this. Have you ever asked this question or have you ever thought this to yourself? Well, I just, I don't know if I can forgive myself. I can't forgive myself for what I've done. If that's you, you're asking the wrong question. It's not how do I forgive myself. Because that just, that puts the focus on you and yourself. Stop looking at yourself and start looking up to Jesus. Keep going back to what's true. You see, when your feelings take you somewhere else, you've got to direct your mind to what Christ has done for you on the cross. He's forgiven you. That's been dealt with. It's gone. 
That's worth being grateful for. So number one, the first blessing he's counting is he forgives all our iniquities. Secondly, he heals all your diseases. I think he's speaking metaphorically here and, and spiritually mainly, but God can heal us physically and we ought to be praying for him to do so. He heals through natural means of just going to the doctor and availing yourself to medicine. He heals through supernatural means, through miraculous means, and we ought to be praying for that as well. And just a little parenthesis here, we know right now the season that we're in with the COVID virus and, and everything, we have some people in our church, just be praying for them, you know, as our family members and other needs. If you're not yet on our email prayer list, those come to you and we sincerely want you to be praying for the people in our family. And yet realizing that sometimes healing might be coming not here, but in heaven. It's his timing and not ours. Metaphorically, this idea of diseases and healing our diseases, I think he's pairing that alongside uh, the forgiveness of sins. And so sometimes this healing includes kind of our, our mental, emotional wounds that affect us physically as well. David knew the guilt and the shame of the adultery and the, the murder and the lies. He experienced that and he tried to cover it up. It reminds me of a story when I was eight years old and I've shared this once before or twice maybe, I don't know, been here for a while now. But I remember this story um, when my twin brother and I, and this happened on a regular basis, we were we were in a fight. I have no idea what it was about, obviously. And he comes running after me. I'm running away from him. I run into our bedroom and I trip and I fall and right onto the, the end part of the bed and I gashed open my chin, just bleeding everywhere. And so I run into the bathroom. My brother at this point is not feeling very good uh, about chasing me down. And I'm in the bathroom and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stop the bleeding with Kleenexes. And I'm telling my brother Mark, shh, just don't tell anybody. This is going to be fine. And Mark's freaking out. He's like, no, 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 no. And so he runs and gets my older brother. My parents are gone, and my older brother's 10 years older. So he comes back in, and he's like, take off the Kleenex. you got to uncover that so I can see how deep the cut is. So sure enough, I take it off, and he's like, yeah, that's, that's deep. you got to go get stitches. we got to get to the hospital. And so we did, and obviously there stitches, and it's healed. But I thought about that story and how some of us here in this room, we've got wounds. We've got sin in our past. E emotionally, it's affected us, but we're like trying to cover it up and, and trying to move on. And God's like, you need to uncover that wound so I can then cover it with my grace. I can't heal it if you keep trying to do this yourself. And so I invite you this morning, it might be a time where you're processing the, the story of your life and maybe you've been trying to cover something. Bring it out into the light so that God can heal you. Don't cover it, uncover it, and God will cover it then with his grace. Psalm 32, we see David share of his own experience when he writes, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For I, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So notice, this is affecting him physically, these emotional uh, guilt and shame of his sin. Verse five, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So, Number one, he forgives all your iniquity. Two, he heals all your diseases. Three, he redeems your life from the pit. He redeems your life from the pit, verse four. Redeem, means to buy back with a price to, to rescue. And so what is, what is this pit that he's speaking about? I think ultimately David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing about the ultimate pit that, that we deserve at the end of this path that we're on as sinners, this pit of destruction that awaits us in hell. And he's saying, God has come to redeem you from this pit. I think back to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 when he writes, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, this pit of destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And so I just want you to kind of imagine this for a moment and think about what, which path am I really on? So there is a wide, easy path over here. And I just picture it like just with this beautifully decorated gate. And you open it up and it is wide and there are so many people following this path. I mean, this is very inclusive. You're allowed to do whatever you want, when you want, with whomever you want. People are carrying on. Looks like a good time. Looks like a lot of fun. Over here, Jesus says, there is an another gate. This gate is really small. Imagine it just kind of a, a wooden, small little door, kind of turnstile. You open it up, and you walk through, and you see that there is a narrow, winding path with, with guardrails around you. And there are a lot of what looks to be kind of dangerous things that are awaiting you. Hills, valleys awaiting you. And yet the difference, Jesus says, between these two paths couldn't be more stark. The, the wide, easy path leads to where? Destruction in the end. You might think, well, this is great. I'm living the life I always wanted to live, but at the end, you're gonna be destroyed. You're gonna be judged and punished. Conversely, over here, you, you may be on this narrow path that seems kind of hard at times. It is. It winds around, and the word of God kind of gives you boundaries in which you ought to live, right, for your good. But once you get there to glory, it is incredible. This is what you were made for. And so Jesus says, I have come to redeem you from this path in this pit. This is where true joy is found. Well, there's a big pit, and there are also smaller pits in life. I think of the story of Joseph. You remember the story and how his brothers threw him into a pit. But that wasn't the end of the story. And for some of you in this room, you may feel as though I'm in a pit right now of despair. I'm in a pit of, of just anxiety. I can't seem to get out of it. Or maybe my marriage is in the pits. I just, I don't know what to do to get out of this. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. God has a story. He's writing in your life. In fact, in Psalm 40, verses one to three, David writes of his own experience. 
When he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So he forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. Fourthly, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. What a blessing. I mean, it would have been enough, right, to forgive us, to to heal us, to redeem us, but he's done more than that. He has crowned us. We deserve to be condemned, and we're crowned. Crowned. We're, We're considered sons and daughters of the king. It's incredible. Thinking of Joseph's story again, metaphorically, it's our story as well. We went from the pit to the palace, right? We're royalty now. This is our identity. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is who you are now. This is your identity. You are royalty. Think about David as a king. He's looking back over his life, coming to the end of his life, and he's just remembering perhaps all of his military victories, all of the riches gained over the years. And he says that pales in comparison to the crown of love and compassion that God has given me in his mercy. So he forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your disease. We're counting our spiritual blessings today. Thirdly, he redeems your life from the pit. Fourthly, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And fifthly, he satisfies you with good. He satisfies you with good. So it's not just what he has saved us from, but what he has saved us to. We get a life filled with joy and true satisfaction in Jesus. Some of you think, well, if I really gave my life to Christ, man, God seems like a killjoy. It's not gonna be that much fun anymore. Like if I really go all in and give him everything, I, no, he has made you with a heart that won't, won't be filled unless it's found in Jesus. I think of this, this quote by C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorites. Listen to what he says. This was years ago when he wrote this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. How about you? Are you finding your joy and pleasure in Christ? That's where your true satisfaction can be found. God wants you to enjoy his gifts. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He's a good father. He gives us good gifts, and let's enjoy them and recognize they are coming from him. David says that as he satisfies us with good, our youth is renewed like the eagles, verse five. Our youth is renewed like the eagles. It makes me think of of Isaiah 40. Uh, Verse 31, where the prophet Isaiah writes this, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
So here's David again. He's, he's kind of thinking back and he's looking at his life and just how God has been tireless in his care for him. And I'm sure he must have seen eagles in flight. And just picture these eagles as this, this picture of tireless strength and vitality. And the older the eagle gets, the, the whiter his hair gets on his head. And perhaps David could identify with him now in that. And maybe some of you can as well. But even in old age, he soars with gratitude like an eagle. How does that happen? Well, the temptation for us is to be more like hummingbirds, right? We just, we feel like things are not going well and I'm not feeling very strong, so I gotta keep flapping my wings really, really fast and keep doing more and making sure that I'm being a, a good person. And he says, no, 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 wait. Stop doing that. I'll give you wings to soar with, with supernatural strength. My spirit's gonna be an undercurrent underneath your wings to help lift you and renew your strength. This cannot be explained by willpower. It cannot be explained by your determination to do better. It cannot be explained by the power of positive thinking. No. It's his spirit stirring your soul to gratitude. So this, this section ends then with David just soaring like an eagle with gratitude in his heart. He had reason to be grateful, right? I mean, five spiritual blessings. He counted them one by one. His heart was soaring in worship. My question for you is, wouldn't you like to be there all the time? I mean, just soaring with gratitude, his spirit underneath your, your wings. Psalm 34, verse one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Don't we want that? I think all of us do. But life, life happens, right? I mean, we, we fail, we grumble, we complain. I heard this quote once, the hardest thing about the Christian life is that it's daily, right? I mean, it is. We don't move from spiritual high and experience to another one, another one, just day by day by day. And so let's just bring it down from soaring as eagles to, to just being down on the ground for a moment. Let me give you just a few ways you can practice gratitude each day. And I'm learning this my, myself. I'm just beginning more of this in my own life. So here's number one. Start your day with gratitude. Start your day with gratitude. And I would add, not with your phone. <laughs> it is so tempting, right, to, to start with your phone. But when you start with your phone, listen, the three Ds are more than likely going to flood your mind. Doubt, discouragement, and distraction. Start your day with gratitude and focus on the big five, these five spiritual blessings instead. I mean, as you're maybe drinking some coffee, you know, as you're just sitting down to read a few verses in the Bible, or maybe as you're, you know, going through the gratitude journal, we invite you to do this. This is a weekly devotional, day by day. Go through that. Think about how you can give praise to God. Secondly, use your downtime to count your blessings. Use your downtime to count your blessings. All of us have downtime. Maybe it's your drive time. Maybe it's your exercise time. Maybe it's your meal time. What if you were to use that time to let your mind just, just go to places of gratitude for what God has done for you in Jesus. I mean, just sincerely talk to yourself, right? We're doing this anyway. You might as well talk to yourself about what God has done for you in Jesus. I mean, start with your spiritual blessings then move to smaller blessings. I guarantee you'll have a lot to think about. Thirdly, 
Make gratitude a habit. Make it a habit. I've said this before, like our brains, the way we're wired, um, we have mental pathways where it's kind of triggered us for habits to where we can just kind of not think about it. We're on autopilot, and because we've done that every day, we're just, here it is again. What would happen if our autopilot was gratitude and not complaining? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, to get to the end of your life and you develop this habit and you're a grateful, gray-haired worshiper of God, what a great goal to have. Now, that doesn't happen overnight. And I want to be clear about this. This is harder for some of us who have temperaments or um, just the way that we're wired. And I'm, I'm sensitive to you uh, in that. And, and just know that God is too. This is, this is not about you like power of positive thinking. I'm going to really be grateful. That becomes more about us than Jesus. This is not like just quoting better than I deserve everywhere I go. I mean, it's much deeper than that. Recognizing everything I have as a gift from God, and day after day, just cultivating that in my heart. Fourthly, grow in humility and childlike wonder. <laughs> grow in humility and childlike wonder. I want to I do that. I mean, humble people are grateful people, right? Humble people are grateful people, and that's, that's convicting, isn't it? Think about David. He had been humbled and broken in his sin. He's reflecting on his story now, and he's grateful for God's grace. Here's one simple question that I'm asking myself a lot lately. Who am I? I mean, sincerely, think about this. You wake up in the morning, and, and you've got some coffee, you've got some breakfast. Who am I that I should be able to have this cup of coffee, God? You go throughout your day. Who am I that I have this beautiful family? God, who am I that, that my health is okay right now? Who am I that I'm forgiven of my sins? And you've had grace upon grace upon me. Who am I? You see, it's humility that leads to gratitude, that leads to joy throughout the day. A sense of wonder. Look at what I have. I mean, think about that. Look at what, I've had, what I have. The gift of being alive and spiritually alive. Number five. Remember that you need others in this. You can't do it on your own. You need others. These psalms weren't to be just for individuals in their home, just to be read. No, this was in corporate worship. This is for all of us as the family of God. We, we need to be together, uh, singing with one another. Um, coming on a Sunday morning, it shapes our souls. Being part of a Sunday school class, digging into Bible studies, this ongoing encouragement. Guys, you know this. We are in a world that's divided right now. Let's be united as the church. Let's continue to be united around the truth of God's word and our fellowship in Jesus. We have so much to be grateful for. So let me close with this. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, not asking if you've been a good person, not asking if you were baptized, I'm asking if Christ is your Lord and Savior this morning, you are the recipient of these five spiritual blessings here in Psalm 103. And they should be means of gratefulness in your heart. But if you have yet to give your life to Jesus Christ, none of these are yours. None of these blessings are yet yours. Oh sure, God gives you common grace, and yet the biggest benefits right here are found only in Jesus. And so trust in Jesus. Come to Jesus, and he will give you more than what you could ever imagine. And I'll say this as well. If you are a follower of Jesus, even on your worst day, 
when you're grumbling and complaining and you don't have one ounce of gratitude in your heart, know this. God is more tender with you than you are with yourself. He's moving toward you with mercy and compassion and love. He loves you. He's done everything for you in Jesus, and he will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the blessings we have in Jesus. Too many to count. We're gonna sing 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing, but that's just the beginning. And in heaven, we will be praising you for an eternity for what you've done for us, Jesus. Thank you. I pray that we would take little steps here this week to be grateful people. Humble us, help us every morning as we wake up to just call out to you in thankfulness for the blessings we have in Jesus. Lord, do this not just individually, but in us as a family. Help us, help us to be different in this culture that is so bent towards negativity right now. Help us to be unified around the truth and these blessings we have in Christ. We pray in his name, amen.